This is John Quinn. This is Law Disrupted. And today we have the great pleasure and honor of speaking with a very prominent litigator in Japan, in Tokyo. It's my good friend, Hisaya Kimura, who's with the very famous firm, Nagashima Ono and Tsunamatsu. Hisaya was the head of the litigation department at the Nagashima Ono firm for over 20 years. Uh, he is, uh, he's recently announced that he's going to be retiring from the firm. Uh, but we're very, very pleased to have him with him. He's very well known, one of the most experienced litigators in Japan. And we're eager to hear from Hisaya about litigation, civil litigation practice in Japan. And just to start with, I understand that the civil procedure practice in Japan is really based on the German system. Is that is that right? Yeah, uh, Japan started its modernization uh, just 157 years ago, and we adapted German system. Uh, almost exactly, we followed uh, we uh, ancestors followed the German system, particularly when it comes to uh, civil procedure. That's interesting. How did that happen? Why the German system or not the French system or the English system? What's the historical uh, origin of that? Actually, first Japan, how to say, virtually decided to, you know, introduce, uh, you know, uh, you know, <clears throat> British system. But later, uh, they had a second thought because they started thinking that, uh, British system was too democratic. Uh huh. And, uh, and, uh, they, uh, uh, after that, uh, they, how to say, accepted the advice of German government at the time. Uh, and they decided to, how to say, introduce German legal system, basically. Right. So this is uh, at the time of the Meiji uh, Restoration back in 1860 or? Yeah, 1860s. Uh, yeah. 1868, yeah. And, and is that system basically in terms of the civil procedure, has that stayed intact since then or have there been some evolution to the system? Yeah, yes, it's a current, Japan totally changed its uh, civil procedure, procedure system after the, you know, uh, Meiji Restoration. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I, as I understand, at the time of the Meiji Restoration, the German civil, uh, civil procedure system was adopted. Between then and now, has that system changed? Or is it still basically the same German civil procedure system that was adopted back in the 1860s? Yeah, uh, even today, basically, uh, our civil procedure system based on <clears throat> German system. However, after the uh, end of the Second World War, uh, we introduced some elements of American system, <clears throat> uh, specifically cross-examination. Right. Before then, Japanese system didn't know the idea of cross-examination. Well, we'll want to talk about that, about the importance of uh, witness testimony. Uh, versus documents. I know in the civil system, generally, uh, cross-examination doesn't have the same importance that it does in the UK or the US system. And we'll, we'll want to talk about that. But how is, how is a civil action begun in Japan? I mean, do you have to file a highly detailed complaint? Does it require affidavits or sworn statements in order to start a case? How is a case started? It doesn't have the idea of the trial. Uh, that of the American system. Uh, first, uh, we have to, of course, uh, file complaint. And the op opponent, adversary, uh, is required to, uh, you know, uh, submit answer. 
After that, uh, we change. Both parties usually <coughs> have to change their briefs many times. In a huge case, just I'm, I'm representing a client. We submitted just 50 briefs mm -hmm. uh, by the end of the court of first instance procedure. Mm. So I think it is, uh, it has some similarity to the uh, common law system. Uh, in the ancient common law system, right. we have to exchange briefs many, many times. And it usually, in a huge case, uh, it uh, takes uh, two or three years. Right. And are these briefs, are they uh, pleadings or are these arguments as to the law and the facts? Are these, uh, what types of briefs? Are they, mo is this mo motion practice or what? Uh, virtually, motion, uh, motion practice is a different story. In these briefs, uh, we have to argue uh, about the merits uh, of the, that litigation, including uh, legal assertions and uh, factual assertions. All right. And also, uh, as you know, German is German are very, how to say, uh, people who love details. Right. <laughs> yeah. Japanese love details more than German. Okay. Germans. So we have to exchange, how to say, briefs, which are very, how to say, detailed into the factual issues and legal issues, particularly factual issues. Right. So will those briefs be supported by affidavits or sworn statements, or they're just lawyers' assertions? Uh, no, uh, we are uh, required to submit, uh, to support uh, our assertions in briefs, uh, you know, uh, documentary evidence. Mm -hmm. In addition to uh, sometimes, uh, you know, a uh, statement. It's not exactly affidavit, but a statement. Okay. Um, do you have any type of uh, pretrial disclosure, or discovery? I I'm, I'm assuming you don't have depositions like we have in the U.S., because I think the U.S. is the only country that has U.S.-style depositions. But what types of pretrial discovery do you have? Yeah, actually, uh, basically speaking, I think... Uh, we don't know the idea of discovery. Mm -hmm. It's a very American thing. And uh, Japan, you know, actually failed to introduce that system into Japanese system. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have a document, uh, how to say, document submission order. Uh -huh. But it's not totally, how to say, uh, different from document uh, discovery in U.S. system. Right. Because uh, we have to specify the document before we file, we, we file order, uh, to how to say, to how to say, uh, production, uh, to ask for the production for the document to the adversary party. So in, in order to get the documents from your adversary, you have to actually specify the documents that you want. Exactly. Well, it, I mean, if you don't have discovery, how do you, how, how, how do you know what to ask for? I mean, if you don't know that whether or not the document exists, how can you ask for it? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question. <laughs> I only asked that question uh, by U.S. lawyers maybe <laughs> one hundred times. <laughs> still, still, we could handle it. Yeah, because uh, Japanese uh, Japanese company, particularly Japanese companies, are very how to say uh, careful uh, to preserve any kinds of documents. Mm -hmm. Uh, in light of the uh, future, uh, future, uh, you know, uh, litigations. Mm -hmm. In addition to it, uh, recently the 
or you know, 9% of the documentary evidence are emailed. Uh -huh. So both parties, uh, uh, how to say, usually uh, preserves emails, uh, particularly in Japan for many years, mm -hmm. preparing for the future possible litigation. Uh -huh. So honestly speaking, it is still, uh, I think it is not so difficult to handle litigations without discovery in this country. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you, you said it typically takes about two years to actually get to the trial? Yeah, typically two years. Actually, our uh, uh, civil procedure law uh, has an article that the court has to reach uh, the, uh, the conclusion of the procedure of the first instance in two years. Mm -hmm. However, in complicated cases, uh, sometimes it takes, you know, seven, uh, even seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. So as a, as a result of these various briefings on factual issues and legal issues leading up to the trial, are the issues basically narrowed? Is the court making rulings and basically saying, you know, on, on this issue, I rule this way, on this issue, I rule that way, so that by the time you get to trial, the issues in dispute are narrowed? Is that how it works? And sometimes uh, courts do that. But in many cases, they don't do that kind, how do I say, that kind of narrowing the issues. Sometimes in complicated cases, of course, they will do. But the regular cases, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So actually, uh, Japan uh, does not know the idea or does not know the idea of the uh, civil jury system. Yes. So all, how do I say, judges, fact finders, are experienced judges, career judges. Yeah, I was going to ask you who the who the judges are and what the judiciary is. I know in many countries, the, being a judge is a separate profession. You get a separate degree, uh, and you're always a judge. It's not like in the U.S. Many judges are used to be uh, lawyers, and they become judges probably without any special training. I mean, is it a separate career in Japan to be a judge? It's a kind of mi a mixture and the same carrier and separate carrier. Uh, in, uh, in our system, after passing the bar examination, we have to study one year at the Legal uh, Research and Study Institute, uh, which is, got, uh, you know, administrated by the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And when uh, we graduate that institute, we have to choose our future carrier a judge, public prosecutor, or attorneys. I see. Yeah. And uh, if you choose the career as a judge, in many cases, majority of cases, you have to work as a judge uh, to the uh, uh, retirement age. It is 60 years old. I see. And and when you, at trial, do you just have one judge or do you have more than one judge? Uh, yeah, in the appellate court, uh, three judges. In the district court, uh, complicated cases, uh, we have three judges. But in you know, regular cases, just one judge. Mm -hmm. I mean, what does the trial look like? You know, in the, in the U.S. or the U.K., typically, you know, you have a trial day, and usually you just go from day to day. There may be some recesses uh, for a day or two, but basically... You know, the, it's one continuous process until you come to the end. Is that what it's like in Japan, or is it more kind of episodic? A few days here, a few days there. Actually, as I told you, we do not have the idea how to say uh, trial. Trial uh, means in this country just a witness examination. I see. Yeah. 
So, so actually, the trial is when uh, you have witnesses that get up in the witness box and they're they're questioned. Yes, and uh, in many cases, uh, average cases court allow just two witnesses uh, to be examined. Just two, 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 uh, two for each side for a total of four. No, one for each side. Wow. Okay. And uh, they are given just uh, one hour, including, uh, you know, direct examination, cross-examination, and sacramental examination rendered by judge. So, <laughs> I mean, to, to an American lawyer, that's, I mean, we, we would wonder, what can you accomplish in one hour? Actually, it is very difficult. Yeah. And many judges, I'm not sure whether uh, they are honestly saying that or not. But uh, uh, many judges say that uh, we are seldom influenced by the uh, result of the witness examinations. That they are or are not? Are not. Are not, yeah. And so what, what is the purpose of it? I mean, if you're only going to call one witness and they can only be examined for one hour, including both direct and cross, what, what is the purpose of having the witness testify? Just follow formalities. Because <laughs> we introduced cross-examination. Oh, I see. So okay. they, they, judges cannot ignore that system. I see. So you think it's the purpose of that is largely at this point kind of ceremonial or formal? Mm, honestly speaking, I think so. Particularly compared to U.S. system, yeah, it's very ceremonial. Uh, so would it be fair to say that uh, the most important evidence uh, is really the documentary evidence, the contemporaneous document? Definitely, 100 percent. Uh-huh. Mm, maybe 99 percent. Right. Okay, so I understand you, d you don't really have trials. It's just an opportunity for two witnesses to be testified for one hour each. That sounds like something you could accomplish easily in one morning or a half a day. Uh, yeah, it, it, it takes just a hard say, just morning or just, just how to, half a day, morning or afternoon. That's it. Right. Yeah. And then at that point, is the case then considered submitted for decision to the judge? That the judge has, at that point, has all the evidence, the briefing leading up to the trial and the testimony, and, and then the judge goes away and yeah, actually, in many cases, after the, you know, witness examinations, uh, parties are allowed uh, to submit the last, uh, you know, brief. I see. Uh, ref reflecting the result of the, you know, witness examination. I see. Um, and are these, I mean, these briefs that you're referring to, are there page limits? Do they tend to be very, very long or are they basically short briefs? It depends on the case, but... Uh, in many cases, uh, these last brief might be longer than other briefs. Yeah, because they they try to reshuffle the all the assertions again in on that uh, in that brief. Uh, so we're talking about ten pages, twenty pages, fifty page briefs, or or what? In complicated cases, it's easily how to say uh, go to hundred pages. <laughs> okay, yeah. very long, uh -huh. right? Uh, and then once that's all concluded, how long typically does it take a judge to render his or her decision? Yeah, in uh, you know uh, regular cases, just uh, you know one or two months. Uh huh. Uh, complicated cases, sometimes it takes uh, around half a year. Half a year. Half a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are damage awards? I assume that judge that uh, courts in Japan can give both damages 
awards and, and also inject what we would call equitable relief, injunctive injunction relief. Mm-hmm. What do uh, uh, damages awards, how do they compare to, I mean, I know you have a lot of experience with lawyers in the West and cases in the, in the West. How do damages awards in Japan compare with awards in the West, would you say? Yeah, awards for the, you know, actual damages. Mm-hmm. I think the amount of damages under Japanese uh, uh, legal system uh, is not necessarily low compared to uh, the amount of the Western system. Not necessarily low. Not necessarily low. Sometimes yeah. it's, uh, it's higher than, mm-hmm. than yeah, how to say, mm-hmm. uh, Western ones, including Amer- U.S. ones. However, we do not know the idea of the punitive damages. Right. And there is a Supreme Court decision said that uh, punitive damage is unlawful here in Japan. Yeah. So, I mean, if you had a new client comes from America, they've got a problem in Japan, they have a lawsuit in Japan, they have no experience Mm -hmm. with the Japanese legal system. Mm -hmm. And uh, they say, well, explain to me, Mm -hmm. what's the system like? How's it different than what I'm used to in the U.S.? What, what What are the sorts of things that you explain to clients? Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, we do not have the idea of discovery. Uh, secondly, I think it's a very important point. You know, the idea of balance of possibility, the degree of the, you know, uh, persuasion. Mm-hmm. I think uh, in civil cases, so-called preponderance evidence, rule of preponderance of evidence applies uh, to this uh, civil, uh, civil litigation in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, even the civil cases, so-called beyond, uh, beyond uh, the uh, rule of beyond reasonable doubt, applies to the, even civil cases. Wow! So if I have a claim for breach of contract, uh-huh. it, I have to prove my case. Uh-huh. You know, the breach, liability, damages, etc., beyond a reasonable doubt. Basically, yeah, there are small elements, but basically, particularly tort cases. Uh-huh. Tort and cases. Particularly tort cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, violation of contract cases, there are some exceptions. But when it comes to tort cases, it is very, it is hard, very high harder for the plaintiffs. Yeah. Uh, but, but in like your average business breach of contract case, it would be more like a preponderance of the evidence standard, would you say? Uh, actually, no, no. That's uh, preponderance evidence uh, does not apply to the uh, violation of contract cases. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a how to say theory, relatively easily, uh, the burden proof mm-hmm. uh, will be shifted to the uh, defense uh, defense def- uh, defense side in the contractual cases. Really? So the, yeah. in the, in a breach of contract case, the burden of proof is on the defendant. Uh, basically, still uh, on the plaintiff. Yeah. But uh, if the plaintiff, how do you say, substantiate, substantiate yeah. that there is a contract. Yeah. And the, uh, the defendant fails to perform the obligations, the burden of proof has switched to the defendant. Oh, yeah. So yeah. The, ini- the initial burden uh, in a breach of contract case will be on the plaintiff. But if the plaintiff makes kind of a prima facie mm. case, then the then the 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 burden is on the defendant to prove its defense. Exactly, that's very that's very interesting. Uh, also, how does that? We do not know the idea of uh, punitive damages, right? And uh, we do not have the civil jury system, right? 
and uh, you know they are the element and in addition to it uh japanese are very uh people who love the precise things mm -hmm. <laughs> it applies to even civil litigations mm -hmm. so we have to do a, a tremendous amount of preparation in the details details with the factual issues mm -hmm. uh, to prepare our briefs yes i think uh, i have to explain that to my possible client yeah okay well this is this has been really uh it's very interesting to to uh dig into these differences in the systems let me change the subject a little bit to talk about the profession uh and law firm practice mm -hmm. in japan uh for a long time i've heard that uh this kind of uh in tokyo four major firms that you hear about mm -hmm. uh uh your firm the nagashima ono sanamitsu matsu being one of the four firms which have kind of been the leading firms in tokyo for a long time mm -hmm. uh, and, and that doesn't seem to have changed uh but uh, yeah actually uh, uh, in the near future i don't think so but mm -hmm. uh, there in the past in the uh, recent past there were uh, tremendous changes. Uh -huh. uh, when I uh, became a lawyer uh, around the middle of the 1980s, the Nagashima no Tsunematsu uh, was, at, the, at that moment, the largest law firms in Japan. But uh, we still had just uh, less than 50 lawyers. Uh -huh. How large is your firm now? Now, uh, 600, over 600, or 70, uh, uh, 600 or 700. Mm -hmm. over Japan. I mean, other, um, than, other than the growth mm -hmm. of the firms, what would you say have been the other significant changes in law firm practice in Japan? Yeah, uh, in the past, uh, Japanese lawyers are focusing on just litigation, dispute resolution. But after, in 90s, they introduced a various, how to say, kind of the work, like, uh, how to say, you know, regulatory work, M&A work, anti-monopoly work, etc. So yeah. they have the areas of work expanded very widely. Mm -hmm. And secondly, uh, you know, uh, some law firms, particularly top-notch law firms, uh, like a big four law firms, uh, have been uh, internationalized. Internationalized. Yeah. And so does your firm have offices outside Japan? Ah, uh, yes. Where? where? Uh, we have uh, New York. Uh, we have Singapore. Uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, Thailand and uh, uh, Bangkok, yes. And we have China, uh, also uh, we have Vietnam. In Vietnam, we have two offices. And we are opening in Indonesia. Okay. I mean, I remember many, many years ago when the Japanese bar was, you know, it used to be that foreign law firms could not open up, could not have offices in Japan. Mm -hmm. And I remember many, many years ago, when there was debate in the profession in Japan about whether foreign law firms should be permitted to open offices in Japan. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of concern expressed. Well, if the foreign firms come in, you know, they will completely change the profession, you know, be destabilizing. They'll recruit away the reading, leading practitioners. They'll take over the market. I mean, do you remember those concerns being expressed at the time? Yes, yes. It started maybe uh, around the end of the 80s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But of course, foreign firms have were permitted to open offices. They've been there for many years. Mm -hmm. And it, does, it doesn't seem 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression is that the, they really haven't had a large impact on the uh, legal market. Would you agree with that or disagree? Uh, when it comes to the domestic legal market, uh, what is uh, rec your recognition, recognition is totally true. But I think uh, when it comes to kind of the, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, international market or, you know, uh, cross-border market, I think they would have given at least some impact. Yes. I mean, are there some changes taking place uh, in the market now, uh, the professional market, or in the civil justice system that you think are particularly noteworthy that may, might be of interest to our listeners? Uh, I don't think so. I think Japanese uh, legal system, you know, started being stabilized, started, how to say, uh, stabilizing recently. Uh huh. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much for joining us. Hisaya. My total pleasure. <laughs> We've been speaking with Hisaya Kimura, who is the longtime head of the litigation department at the prominent Japanese law firm, Nagashima Ono and Tsunamatsu. This is John Quinn, and this has been Law Disrupted. <laughs> <laughs>